Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. We're continuing in the series Common Challenges for Christians, and we're on the topic of depression. Last time we talked some more just about our own stories, but we never really got into um, ways that we try and deal with depression in unhelpful ways, or positively how the gospel deals with depression through the heart, head, and hands framework. And so that is our goal today, to actually talk through practically what are unhelpful ways we could try and deal with depression, and then what are helpful ways. And so Doug, do you want to start us off by just talking about what are some of the unhelpful ways that we can try and deal with the issue of depression? Some of the unhelpful ways that we can try and deal with depression are to just isolate, be off on our own. There's ways that I can almost use depression as a self-pity type of therapy. I can try and medicate some of the wrong symptoms or use the wrong medicine or just kind of give in to despair. But I think just to start us off, isolation is one of the big temptations that we have of I'm low I feel like I'm a burden I don't want to burden other people and there can be a draw to just go off and deal with this on our own or to maybe let one person in or someone who's disconnected from our situation and maybe talk with somebody out there but not people that are present with us so I think just that isolation I'm going to take care of this on my own, which happens with a lot of sin patterns, and depression isn't necessarily sinful, but a lot of the sin patterns in my life, if I try and deal with it on my own, it's just an unhelpful spot. Like, I actually really need the body of Christ, and depression as well. I truly have reached spots that I've needed other people. I think about my time overseas. If Alex Natoli wasn't with me, I've said a few times, like, I don't know that I would be alive. I'm so thankful that I was forced to interact so that I couldn't isolate because he was there in my room with me. Um, it's just a great friend, but that tendency to isolate and say, I'm going to deal with this on my own is one of the worst things. Do you guys see that or ways that you felt that yourself? Yeah, I, I definitely do see that tendency, Doug, of isolation. And I think you're right that it's a really easy thing to go into it w- particularly when you're going through depression i think that feeling of i don't, I don't want to be a burden on other people i don't want um to overwhelm others with my issues and so you you feel sometimes that need to be isolated or maybe you feel a shame about it like oh no i shouldn't be going mm-hmm. through this and so i don't want to share it with someone else or you're afraid that if you share it someone's just gonna give you unhelpful advice and not be able to sympathize and they're just gonna say well why don't you get over it or whatever it might be but that that temptation to isolate is really strong and i think one of the big lies that people face in depression uh that can really cause it to worsen is the lie that it's wrong to share it with others or that it will be unhelpful to share it with others when actually that is often one of the most helpful and liberating things to have other people who know what's going on and to trust some other people who are trustworthy with 
with some of the weight that you're going through and even just to trust them, um, trust brothers and sisters in Christ that they could show kindness, care, and um, patience to you in the midst of what you're going through. It's a, it's a really significant challenge. And I think one of the, one of the biggest challenges when going through depression is being able to um, move away from isolation to openness with others. And just along those lines too, I think that something we've talked about in the past is just fear. Uh, and I think that can really impact the way we decide to be isolated because there's can be a lot of fears associated with why we don't want to share this with others. And, um, and the fear that I'm the only one going through this, we've talked about that with other, either the things we deal with our sins, but I believe the enemy wants us to feel alone in it and isolated. And that adds mm. power to it. And so it feels like I'm the only person dealing with this. And just the more and more I've gone through life, um, not even necessarily just tied to depression, but what I've just seen as we've interacted with more and more people, people are going through hard things and dealing with heavy things and uh, dealing mm-hmm. with burdens. And it's maybe not easy to see it on the surface. And so I think that it's can be really powerful when we actually do open up with the things that we are dealing with. And that can also one motive in that can just be creating an open door for other people to also share what they're going through and not feel like they have to have it all together. And they have a place where they can also share what they're dealing with. And as you just walk through life with people, that's, that's just a really important thing to have a space where they can do that. Cause I've, I'm just remembering some people in ministry. I've walked through life with them for a year or two before they've kind of opened up about their depression or the dark things they're wrestling with. And I think a lot of that was tied to just fear of what are people going to think about me if I do share this? I was just thinking of Greg, as you were saying that the idea of like, what will people think if I share this of Jerry Bridges book, acceptable sins of the saints and that book, what he's doing is he's saying there's certain sins that we kind of almost give a free pass on and are socially acceptable that we kind of like, don't take seriously in the call to holiness. And so that idea is helpful with what are sins that I'm overlooking in my life. But then as I think about depression, it kind of feels like, oh, this isn't just like a socially acceptable one to say I'm super deep in depression right now. There's a vulnerability there of like, yeah, I'm anxious. It's like, okay, well, we're all anxious. We're feeling that in the COVID season. So you can actually confess that you're anxious and everybody's like, oh, yeah, of course you are, um, because I am too. And then, but we also can feel like, oh, I'm having panic attacks. Ooh, it's become a little more vulnerable. But it yeah. probably does still feel more vulnerable to say, I am thoroughly depressed. I'm struggling to figure out why do I get out of bed in the morning. And that's a risky thing to step into community with other people and really bring that forward. And so that along with isolating it's possible to partially share like, Hey, I'm struggling right now or I'm struggling with motivation and it's not a total isolation. It's still better to at least partially share, but you're still kind of isolated from the real depth of depression low that I'm in. It's vulnerable to really go all the way there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mark, you were just smiling. Was there something on your mind there? No, I, I just think that's so relevant i mean it's even like the idea of like yeah you know i struggle with sin like if if you keep it real vague everything can be pretty comfortable it's like yeah you know like 
I struggle with sin too. It's like, well, that's a lot different than, you know, going into the details of here's the actual ways I'm struggling with sin or here's the yeah. ways that I'm finding my comfort in media and food and here's the way I overate last night or went and, you know, whatever it is. Like the, yeah. the more the more specific you get, the more, more vulnerable you get. And I think that in that battle of isolation, if you can if you can be specific and vulnerable with people you can trust, you know, and get people you can give the benefit of the doubt to trust. Yeah. Um, I think that's really powerful. I think part of it too is it, it's like the more general you are. Um, I mean, being general can be helpful for certain contexts, but also like we need the gospel and the specifics of our trials and struggles. Yes. Like I can hear God loves a sinner, you know, or God loves me even though I'm sinful, but sometimes to share the specific sins that I'm going through um, whether that's confessing it to God or confessing it to someone else. And even just having that reminder of, you know, like that doesn't define you like the specifics of that that really has power. And I think it's when you can get into the details of specifics. Sometimes the power of the gospel is really made more clear that you see that it's not just some abstract concept that lives up there in the ether, but it is, yeah. it is here and now in the actual things you're going through. Um, and that God's grace is available God's strength is available. God's mercy, his kindness, his wisdom um, is available in the midst of that specific struggle. Which is important because it doesn't necessarily take, like we all know this, like anybody that has even shared their depression knows that it doesn't take the depression away to share it. But there are certain sins that do just thrive in the dark. And that thrive mm-hmm. in isolation, like purity, pornography, a lot of sexual sins are certainly that way. They are just amplified the more that they're in the dark. And the battle doesn't go away when someone confesses honestly, but it allows a condition for the grace of God to be healing. And Mark, I like what you're saying there about it even being specifically healing. And I think one good passage for that is just first John one one through ten where it talks about everything exposed by the light um what that means and as christians we walk in light and we experience experience the tangible we tangibly experience the forgiveness of sins as we walk in light and community together and like you're saying doug it does create that avenue for the gospel the next bad way of dealing with depression that we're going to talk about is self-pity as therapy and the idea that comes to mind for this is At some point in high school, I was listening to the song Mad World by Gary Jules and just listened to that on repeat for like (laughs) an hour and a half. Do you you guys remember that song? Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, it's just like it's a super low and depressing song. And there's something that is genuinely good about allowing yourself to sit in the low and to actually experience being depressed. And then to come before the Lord and to come before other people where we don't want to shortchange what I'm actually feeling. But there's also a way that I think of like my high school version of myself listening to that song where I wasn't using this to drive me to the Lord, but just to almost sit in it for the sake of sitting in it. I was probably playing RuneScape and listening to this song and just checking out and like, anyways. Because one of my high school friends had mentioned that he did that sometimes, like just listen to that song and would get bring him to like a really dark spot. It's like, oh, 
that's that was a sense of trying to do that for therapy, but it really wasn't helpful. Yeah. I think of the story of Jonah in the Bible too. Jonah's the prophet who's sent to um, Nineveh, his enemies, and he doesn't want to be there and he's successful and hates the fact that he's successful because he calls people to repent and they actually do it. And he is upset with God that God's kind to his enemies as opposed to um, destroying them. And there's one part at the end of this story where Jonah goes out of the city and, you know, he's, he's got screaming success and the city's overturned and repentance and whatnot. Um, but then Jonah at one point after God gives a plant and the plant grows up and then dies and there's a parable attached to this plant, um, meaning attached to it. But Jonah says in Jonah four, eight, he says, it's better for me to die than to live. And that's where he's at. He's like, it's better for me to die than to live. And God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah's response is, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord's point is, you're showing pity for this plant, but not for this entire city of people. Like, something is off. And not not even to mention the cattle. But it's interesting there because Jonah says, yes, I do well, well to be angry angry enough to die. And it's like, in that moment, you see that Jonah is depressed. He is, you know, re- ready to, he, he wants to be dead. And he's holding on to his anger so much that um, he says he's angry enough to die. But there's that therapeutic nature of anger that sometimes when we're holding on to anger, when we're holding on to depression, there's there can be something underneath it. And I think there you see an example of Jonah when he's confronted with God. There's a sense of this self-pity. Like he feels so frustrated, so irritated, so so upset about the injustice of God and his circumstances that he would almost, um, he almost wishes death upon himself. And it's an intense example, but I think it, it can show, it can show us something about the therapeutic nature of anger, the ways that we can hold on to certain things, um, which again, as we've talked about, that doesn't mean that's every situation of depression, but here's one specific instance of depression that is tied to um, a very strong view that Jonah has of who God is and what he expects God to do in the circumstance. And there's actually this tension of, I want to hold on to something because it's doing something for me to hold on to this view of how things should be. And I don't want to let this go. Um, this that therapeutic sense to that, uh, that to let go would, would require a sense of humility that's not ready to have. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think even just along those lines too, there, as we've talked about, there's so many different causes of depression and it can be ranging from chemical imbalance in our brains. It can be, um, just difficult things we're going through that are external to us, but I've also, along the lines of what you're talking about, Mark, have gone through seasons of depression that have been a result of my own sin. And especially in college, I think about a time of depression that was um, so much of my life had been centered on me. And God began to take a lot of things out of my life that I was finding my hope and outside of him. And I just felt the emptiness of that. And I believe that even God in his sovereignty and goodness let me felt the, feel the emptiness of 
all the things that I put my life in outside of him. And it just led to a season of depression where I was seeking God. And yet, um, felt like he was just doing a sanctifying work in my life. And I began to see that true life is found in Christ. And yet I just felt depression because so much of my life, he, it was like there was something deep inside me that he was pulling out, tearing out to make me new, to do new things in my life. And yet it was a very painful process and it was painful to be sanctified. And what it led to is so much greater. But I think one of the greatest seasons of depression in my life was just that quick sanctification that God was doing to tear out everything that I was finding life in outside of him and the feeling of that um, led to a season of depression. But, yeah. Hmm. The next bad way of dealing with depression is to just medicate the symptoms. And I think of times in my life where I've realized all that I want to do today is get home from work, watch television, and eat nachos. Like, all right, that's all that I'm looking forward to. And spending time with the Lord seems like a chore. Doing Bible study, relating with guys, doing one-to-ones in ministry just feels like it'll be exhausting. I just want to get home and escape, medicate how low I'm feeling by turning to food and TV. But what are some of the ways you guys see just medicating the symptoms of depression? I think ultimately it's anything that we turn to outside of Christ as a solution for what's really gone on internally. And so if we're looking to pleasure, whether that's we're turning to substances or um, we're turning to sex, if we're turning to a relationship, um, I mean, that's kind of a different category of relationship. It can be, it can look like so many things, but anything that we're, the, the illustration's a little bit cliche, but I think it really is good that there's a God-sized hole in our heart and only God's meant to fill it. And so anything else that we're putting there to try to fill us and be a functional God and um, fill the emptiness that we are experiencing. And I think uh, just the problem with that, that we've all experienced is as we do that, there's absolutely just this law of diminishing return where you usually don't get to the end of binging four hours of Netflix and feel like, man, I'm just refreshed in my soul and ready to go. This yeah, worked. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's anything that we try to put there just feels more empty over time and it has that law of diminishing return. Yeah, Greg, I think what you're saying there is helpful that this, that law of diminishing returns. A lot of the times the things that we think are going to help us when we're struggling just end up really not helping out. Um, and it's really frustrating because you're like, ah, oh, this was this is what I wanted. Doug, I can sympathize with what you're saying. There's days where um, I'll wake up, and the first thing I'm thinking about when I wake up is getting done with the day and how I want to relax that day. Um, yeah. And some of that can be tied to the fact of, well, maybe maybe I'm thinking that because I'm not resting well, and so I'm waking mm-hmm. up already exhausted. Um, and so some of that is self-reflection of, am I actually taking time off am i actually being refreshed um am i actually in a healthy spot personally and spiritually or am i kind of just draining myself each day um and then going to the next day without really much spiritual refreshment and so i find the same temptation of um 
just those quick, easy comforts of, I, you know, want to just watch, watch some TV and eat, eat some food and like call it good for the day. And sometimes for me, that's just because I'm struggling with overworking and that's why I get in that spot. Or or maybe there's Mm -hmm. some deeper soul stuff that is going on that I really need to view. Or maybe I'm just overvaluing that comfort in my life and I'm looking really for the comfort and not wanting to go through trials and difficulty. But I think that temptation is absolutely there. And I've had to really uh, assess my relationship with video games because of that. There's certain video games that I just can't play because I know if I play those video games, that's like all I'll want to do. Like, I wish I was, I wish I was a more advanced creature than I am sometimes. Cause it's like, if, if I could just play, you know, 20 minutes of fallout. Yeah. 20, like, or I think it was like the, the old Republic was the video game I was playing in college. You know, you're like star Wars Jedi and it's like, man, I just want to, you know, play this game all the time and games that have no end. And I'm playing them like I'll be I would be in class thinking about that game and stay up late. It's like this is just so not healthy. So there's just certain things I can't really do cuz it becomes all I really want to do. Um and sometimes I think it's cuz I'm I'm looking to escape from the challenges I have. I'm looking to escape from the trials I'm having and I want that comfort. I want that ease. Um that could be related to depression or that could be related to other things. But I, I do notice that the more I'm struggling emotionally, the more danger I have in just completely checking out, whether that be with entertainment or video games or yeah, just, you know, other, other areas of potential sin, like, uh, mm-hmm. those things become a much greater temptation. Yeah, Mark, that's, helpful because within this medication of symptoms there's a way that we're just trying to escape reality where okay maybe i'm low i'm struggling with my assignments but i can be the hero of the wastelands a knight of the old republic i love playstation's tagline it's greatness awaits (laughs) do you feel like your life is boring a slog well greatness awaits you within playstation and there's just something in that this in some ways we know it's ridiculous but it appeals to me of like oh greatness awaits which is why i I can't even have like solitaire or minesweeper on my computer because there is that tendency to just kind of escape out from life yeah and and i think that phrase two greatness awaits or just that desire for it i mean it, it, on one hand we're talking about video games which maybe maybe is more for what dudes struggle with i know that's guys and girls can struggle with video games but i also just think of how much does that same reality play out in um just social media and presentation of our image like i think mm-hmm. of the challenges for everyone on social media but of like young girls in our society um yeah and dudes, I mean, everyone, like I, I felt that challenge for sure. It's like the, the desire even to kind of have that virtual trophy case of what your, um, social media is portraying what your life is, the validation you get from the likes of other people. Like, again, I wish I was like way more complicated creature than I am, but it's like, there's something therapeutic about getting, um, attention online and social media and, uh, those are things that like, if you don't check that, like, man, like that's, 
there's real temptation and danger there. It's a thing, especially in our society, which so often values the uh, performance and who you make yourself to be. I think it's fascinating too, just that depression has increased with social media and the more and more they're studying yeah. it, there's very direct ties between the two because uh, in a lot of ways you're presenting a picture of yourself and other people are presenting a picture of yourself, but you genuinely know the picture I'm presenting myself is often not the full picture. Uh, and, but you're comparing yourself to other people's pictures and thinking that is the full picture of their life. And it's just kind of a fascinating dynamic. And along these same lines, I know we're, uh, we'll get into this in another podcast, but I really think that it's these things that we're talking about with uh, social media, video games, um, TV, movies, things like that, that are things that you could maybe say are morally neutral, can be good or bad, um, but wouldn't probably inherently be sin to be on Facebook, I wouldn't argue. But it, I think it's those things that will probably have the greatest hindrance to our Christian generation of living for the Lord and the call we have of loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and advancing his kingdom and everything we do and glorifying him and all we do and seeing the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. I think our greatest danger we face is things like that, that are, you could say maybe morally neutral, not all of this morally neutral, some of it's just bad, but those things that will hinder us probably more than anything else, just being numb. Yeah. Again, I wish we were more complex than, sex food image and uh comfort but those are i think you're right on greg that those are those are the big things that take you out i mean it's like when you're a little kid you never imagined that money would be a temptation and then when you get older you're like oh man when you get any of it you're <laughs> yeah yeah when you get any money you're like ah oh, i really want to be comforted in this uh this can be it's very easy yeah absolutely absolutely because there is just a deep longing that we have for significance and for belonging. And all of these things offer a pseudo version of it. But then when we're depressed, it seems like we're low. It's like, is it a way that I can control feeling significant by watching a game or playing a game? Or that I can try and control having belonging by being online. And it doesn't really work in the long run but there is something there where okay i'm low i'm depressed i don't want to take risks so i'm going to try and do it online or in safe ways that ends up actually yeah just taking away or just escaping from the problem doesn't help because i can try and rest through watching tv but if my soul is low yeah, Netflix isn't going to restore me. It can give me a quick break, but it doesn't actually fill us up. So I was thinking even of this as if I was a car and there could be different like systems that show up in your car dash to say, check engine soon that let you know, hey, something's going on. Something's going on. And anxiety seems to be like, a, hey, check engine light. Something's off. Something's off. You're nervous. You're nervous. Depression seems like the car is shutting down and I'm struggling to get out of bed. I'm struggling to get moving. Like the car is stopping. And so in that spot where the car is stopping, I actually need some serious work to be done underneath it. I'm not just seeing warnings. And I think sometimes when there's just the kind of warning signs flashing, I can kind of try and ignore it with 
video games or something like that. But when the car is shutting down, I can still try and go back to television, food, video games. But actually, I really need something much more going on to address the underlying causes. Yeah, it's helpful with what you guys are sharing that there is there is something deeper that we really do desire that's beneath all this that there is a purpose there is a meaning that we were made for these things aren't actually fulfilling that and and sometimes we're looking for those pursuit of something greater in those things and sometimes maybe we're just numbing out some of the pain that we're feeling over our disillusionment of what we thought life would be of the hopes that we had in life and we just want to escape from the pain the misery the hardship of what life is at the moment, perhaps in, in a, in a hopelessness feeling like there, there's no, there's no real hope beyond what I'm going through. And it is the power of the gospel that it is, it is the ultimate story that's actually true that does bring us to a greater hope, but it often does not feel real and tangible in the midst of trials. And that's where I think as we're turning to talk some more about faith, like how do we actually take steps of faith towards health in these areas, but um, maybe some final ways. What are some final ways that are helpful or unhelpful as we try and deal with our issues? Yeah. Well, the last uh, one we've talked about before this, but I think it's the heaviest is just the reality of suicide. And I know this is something that's probably impacted most everyone who's listening in one way or another, but I think with suicide, it's, getting to a place where I'm so depressed that I just kind of fully give in and say, I can't do this anymore. It's better to not be alive than to be alive. And, um, just the idea of fatalism and there's complete hopelessness of anything changing or being better. And we'll do an entire episode on the topic of suicide. But I think that's just one of the reality is that we've all dealt with is that people can be led to the point in their depression that they feel like that's their only option and there's no other hope and yeah it's just it's heavy and impacts all of us in the community greg i, I agree the issue of suicide is, is so weighty and painful and i think just one of the worst things that can happen to a community is losing someone through suicide one of the you know worst things that can happen to someone is getting to that point of lowness in their life where that even just somehow seems, you know, like a, a viable option. Um, and we know that's a real struggle. It was a real temptation. And so, like you said, we're going to be spending some more time in another episode, devoting more energy to that topic. And we feel like that just deserves conversation, both for people struggling with suicide, people helping those struggling with suicide and um, communities dealing with the tragedy and the loss that comes in the wake of suicide. Um, but we're going to move now uh, in this conversation through depression to talking more about what are some of the positive ways that we can deal with depression. Looking again at this head, heart, hands, and work the head. What are the truths we need to know? Heart, how does these, thing, these things reach our heart? Um, and hands, how do we live this out? And as always, these things are um, ways of talking about it, but they really do overlap and go together. So let's let's begin with the head. What are, what are the truths that someone needs to know in the midst of a struggle and battle with depression? 
One of the most helpful passages for me has been Ephesians 1, 3-14, because it begins talking about, Blessed be God, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then it goes on to describe things that God has done to show his love for us before the foundation of the world, in time, in Christ, the ways that God has shown his love by sending his Holy Spirit and sealing us for the return of Christ and for our time with the Lord in his presence forever. And it is so helpful for me when I am low and depressed, whether I'm just low for a week or when I'm depressed for years to just stop and to think about the scope of eternity, to think of the reality that before I even existed, that God loved us in Christ and wanted us to be his people and that God has given us his Holy Spirit who comforts us still today and will be with him forever because it's so easy to feel like this will never end and it will never be done and I'm just stuck here and it feels so long to be depressed the days months years just feel long so as Man, to just go back to that passage, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, and read through it and get a scope of eternity is significantly encouraging to me. When I came home from overseas, mom was praying Psalm 42, 5 for me, which says, Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Rejoice in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There's a lot of great things in that verse for being depressed, that he's acknowledging that his soul is cast down. He's calling himself to hope in the Lord. And the part that was so encouraging to me is, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I was praising the Lord, but there was this sense of a lack of joy, a sense of, it isn't with great rejoicing that I praise the Lord in my life, a desperation of praising the Lord. But to go to that verse and think, I can hope in the Lord today for I will again praise him. And I remember distinctly thinking, I don't know if that I will again praise him will be a year from now, a decade from now, or not until I reach the other side where I'm resurrected with Christ and the new creation, but there will be a day that I will again praise him so I can hope in the Lord now. And it's hard to have that scope of eternity, which is why I had to go back to Psalm 42, five and Ephesians one, three to 14 over and over again. I think another verse that's brought me hope in the middle of depression is Romans eight twenty eight that says we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose and there's just this reality for believers that every season in our life God is working in and sometimes in depression we may feel like it's the absence of God or that he's not active in our lives but what we see is that God begins a work in us and he brings it to completion until the, the day of Christ. And so even in those seasons of life that are hard and challenging, God's not absent and he's not 
distant, but he's continuing to work and he's continuing to conform us into the image of Christ. And even in those seasons that maybe feel like a little bit of a desert in our life, that's not the, it's not the absence of God, but even in those he's doing something. And as I mentioned before, at times I've really felt depressed because of sin in my life and God cleansing and purifying me and, uh, taking things out of my life that I had built my hope on outside of him. And that was a painful process and felt prolonged process. And yet when I see what he did through that time, I wouldn't change or exchange it for not happening. And, and so I think I've even began to pray in the midst of seasons of depression in my life. Lord, if, if this is what it takes to make me more like you if this is what it takes to accomplish the work in my life don't let it stop but do what you need to to make me like jesus and so we get to see that now on a small scale but paul talks about this on an eternal scale that our trials that seem light and momentary uh, which are light and momentary are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory which far outweighs all them so we fix our eyes not what's seen was unseen for what's seen as temporary was unseen as eternal and before that says it feels like we're wasting a day away day by day, but we're really being renewed. And so I think that's just such a hope on an eternal scale. We'll look back on the season of depression, what God even did through those times in our lives and be grateful for how God used them uh, in our lives. Yeah. I do find Romans eight twenty eight to be deeply encouraging. And then to go to 829, like you were saying, Greg, to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the good to which all things are moving? Because often it doesn't feel like what I would expect the good to be. But then verse 29 says that God's ultimate good is that we would then be conformed to the image of Christ. And you think about Jesus, who is a man of sorrows and familiar with grief. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Like, oh, and Jesus, even in a spot of sinlessness, was sorrowful, rejected. He was low, to the point of agony, weeping because he was going to go to the cross, and praying that the Lord, if possible, would take this away, and saying, not my will, but yours. So even there, that there's something, even in our sufferings and sorrow, there's a fellowship with Christ who has been there. Uh, I remember thinking, like, Lord, would you meet me here? Would you meet me here? Because I am so low. And then over time realizing, actually, Jesus has gone here before. And so now, like, I don't like being here. But not only can Jesus hypothetically relate to me in this but i know that he's actually gone here and he's gone farther down all the way to death and come back up lord thank you for all that you've done thank you that you're sympathetic yeah and then trusting that the father is going to be using these things to make us more like jesus in ways that often don't make sense, even if I know that I'm to be conformed to the image of Christ. But then I think of doing things for like Ruth or for Addo, where I'm changing their diaper when they've got a diaper rash, and I'm trying to put diaper rash cream on it, and trying to like wipe, and it's amplifying their pain to do this. And it makes sense that Ruth, as a two-year-old, almost two-year-old, has no comprehension 
of why I would be causing her pain like this in order to heal her. And then, yeah, in our own lives, there's a hope that God is working all things for good to make us like Christ. And a reality that as Ruth sometimes doesn't understand what I'm doing, there are plenty of times in my life that I don't understand what God is doing. Some that I get to look back on and say, oh, that's what it was. And others where there's still mystery, or that today there's still mystery in it. Before we uh, move on to heart, Doug, would you share, I know you just got one more story you could share here. Would you mind sharing that? Definitely. One of my seminary professors actually told this story in a lecture that he was given a few months ago, but it's actually about his son who has fragile X, which is a chromosome issue that limits the ability to read, to think, um, it's a lot of really substantial issues with it, but his son has a deep love for the Lord. And my professor was at a like breakfast with a bunch of businessmen. His son was there. And one of the people had just asked, how do you deal with sorrow, depression, grief? And one by one, the different businessmen were going around and kind of giving psychological answers or giving even good Bible kind of answers of what you're supposed to be doing of like things that you can be working through. And then his son just answered, well, you know, for me, it's the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. And one of the businessmen said, Oh, actually let's, let's all go around and give our answers again. And honestly, that is the answer that do we have hope that Jesus Christ really is coming back to make all things new, that he will come back and wipe away every tear from our eyes. And I think sometimes it's easy in my depression to get all of my hope set on what I can do, how I can adjust this. And there's really important things for us to be doing now. But is there something within us that realizes our longing is for the return of Christ and our hope is that he will make all things new? And that there are some things actually in this life that will not be resolved until the new heavens and the new earth. And there's pain that may not go away. There's unmet hopes and joys. There's things that have happened to people that they can't get out of life situations in which they're stuck that will be unresolved but in that then what is our hope because sometimes it our hope cannot be for change in this life sometimes we'll see significant change here but ultimately the hope to which we have to anchor our lives is what my professor's son said it's that jesus is coming back that's helpful to remember doug even in the midst of trials and difficulties we're not promised ultimate deliverance in this life. Um, but we are promised ultimate deliverance and the hope of the gospel. And it transcends even things that are chronic and permanent and ongoing and painful and difficult. And there's so much hope in that. We're going to transition now to the heart and talk about how the reality of the gospel meets us on a heart level in the midst of our depression. One of the verses that I find really helpful in the midst of just tragedy, pain, 
trials, difficulties is Psalm 126 verse 5, which says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And I just love that image of sowing in tears. It's like you're in the midst of your pain, you're in the midst of the hardship, and you're sowing in tears. But the hope is that there's the harvest, the reaping in shouts of joy. And it's helpful because sometimes that's what life is. is there's the sowing in tears. And it's realizing along with what you guys were saying with the head that there's a greater purpose, there's a greater reason. God is at work. He is present. But that doesn't take away pain. But on a heart level, I think it gives us the freedom to embrace the reality of grief that's before us. Not to just say, hey, you know, it's fine. It's not a big deal. But actually to grieve the pain, to grieve the loss, to grieve the difficulty. And while doing that, to trust that that grief itself is something that God is going to use for good. That there is the reaping that comes through the sowing and tears. So I think that verse just gives us a freedom to um, experience grief. But I think it gives us an experience, a freedom to also experience grief and the paradoxical reality of joy in that, of the hope in the midst of grief. And that's mm-hmm. um, so significant in defining of the Christian life, the, the ability to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And yeah. so I, I just love that verse for uh, the deep implications that it has. Another verse that is just encouraging is Hebrews four fourteen to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But... One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it's so encouraging to know that Jesus is sympathetic with us. And it's also encouraging to know that today we come to Jesus to be our helper. Today he cares about us. Hebrews will later say that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us, that he's praying for his people. Romans 8 says that as well, that Jesus is praying for his people. And I think one of the things that's interesting for me in depression is that it was certainly helpful to know that Jesus died for my sins, that he paid for them, like extremely encouraging but there's also something that's sweet that i don't think i realized when i was so low it's just the reality of the ongoing ministry of jesus that i don't tend to think about very much but that jesus today is still alive he today sits at the right hand of the father he prays for us he gives us his spirit Today, we can relate with him and come to the Father because of him. And I think there's something in depression that just feels low, that feels isolating. There's a sweetness to remember that today Jesus always lives. Today, he is sympathetic. Today, I can come to him. And it's not just some abstract thing that I remember the history of the past. But today he lives to make intercession. Today his Holy Spirit is within us. And I can call out to him. 
with confidence that he hears, confidence that he cares, um, confidence that he understands and is sympathetic, and that he delights to give grace. And that it's not just he did something in the past, and now I have to muster up the strength to live in light of it. Because I realize when I'm depressed, I do not have the strength. But today, Jesus still cares and is sympathetic and gives us his grace. Yeah, it's so helpful remembering Christ always lives to make intercession for his people, as Hebrews 7.25 says. So we're going to move on now to the hand section. Practically, how do we live this out? How do we put feet on it? Which is how I like to throw, put the hands on. Um, but yeah, how do, how do we live out this reality of the gospel in the midst of depression? Yeah, and even just, it's one where I wish there was just a super simple answer. And sometimes when people are in a depressed state, it can be, uh, that can be one of the hard things to hear is, okay, here's just what you do. So it's, there's definitely a lot of complexity and intricacy. I think just as we, just as we think through answers, like how do we, how do we do this? But what I think one of the things is what do we really have to hold on to as Christians and what really can give us hope in the midst of depression? And one verse I'm just thinking of is uh, in first Peter, when Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Christ Jesus is revealed. And I think that that's just such a powerful reality, setting our hope fully on what we have in the gospel and the reality that we're going to be with God for eternity. And some other verses along this line, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we use that uh, verse quite a bit to say, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. But I think one really interesting part of that verse is it says, in everything with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And this is something we're constantly called to in the scriptures, is this mindset and heart of gratitude, of being grateful towards God. And I tied it with a verse from Peter, First Peter one thirteen, because I really believe they go hand in hand of we're grateful for the hope that we have in Christ. And the whole book of Hebrews in the Bible is just talking about hope, how hope shapes and defines our life. And so continuing to try to keep our hope set fully on what we do have in Christ. And often um, maybe some of our depression can come from circumstantial things where we're upset about what we don't have. Maybe we're uncontent that we're single or about the circumstances that are going in life. But when we think about all the things that we've been given in Christ that we don't deserve, that we're not entitled to, and yet that we have in him, that's, that becomes what defines our life and becomes what defines our hope. And it's so much greater what we have in Christ than what we're missing out on or what we don't have anywhere else. And, and again, it's an entire life of cultivating that heart of being grateful and saying or hopefully on Christ and the life of a Christian is continuing to grow in that hope that we have. Then it becomes important to build things into my life that remind me of that over and over again. And it's one of the things that I did when I was really low was I started listening to John Piper's Roman series, like 220 messages through Romans and listened to most actually all of those in like a year and a half time frame. And then Greg 
heard that you were memorizing Romans, so I started like memorizing Romans. And I was partly using it as an escape because I was nervous that because I was so depressed, I'd seen so much of my sin. I was nervous if I like just have a quiet time in journal, I'm gonna just see more of my sin. So that I used Romans as a distraction. So one of my better ro- distractions in life. But then just spending that much time, kind of soaking in what Paul is saying about the good news of the gospel and what Christ has done for us and how that transforms our lives was really refreshing, which is part of then the reason why if I just take in a bunch of other content or if I just kind of check out, I'm not helping myself. Mom and dad have talked about this of times that they were just low and not in a horrible depression or something, but just low And then spending time in the Psalms, just calling out that their hearts would long for the Lord, that they would seek him and find him. And just spending time going back over the Psalms and praying the Psalms and continuing there and then seeing the Lord bring restoration in that. So there does seem to be something of just actually soaking in the truth of the word on my own, listening to it, being in community, hearing it from others. It's just substantial, even if it's not a quick fix. Memorizing all of Romans did not get me out of being depressed. Like, I was still depressed for years after that. But I'm so thankful for the word and the encouragement that genuinely was there in that season. Yeah, Doug, likewise, in one of my lowest seasons of life, preaching was really instrumental and listening to the gospel be preached by others. And, and, you know, even some of the best moments in my life were probably cleaning toilets and listening to the gospel be preached. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I was working as a housekeeper for the summer and, man, it's just just sweet. Like, and sometimes it's in those low seasons that I think God really builds up our appetite for something more, something beyond us, something something transcendent um, that we just need, like we can't live without. And there comes the gospel, and that is that is beyond us. It is beyond our circumstances. It is so much greater. I find also, like you were saying, time with people so valuable. For me, it just helps having friends, people in my life who I can spend time with, and that is such a such a helpful practice and I'm so grateful for community and the role that's played in my own challenges. And I know that for anyone struggling with something, if you can find people around you and open up and go through it with them, specifically people who can preach the truth of the gospel to you and speak God's word and remind you of who you are. Those things are so helpful, so helpful. And they're worth fighting for. They're worth looking for. They're worth searching for. They're worth showing up to church every Sunday, they're worth all of that, you know, staying, staying connected and those communities that you have. It's, it's absolutely worth it. So another one then is just being re- willing to get professional help. There can be such a benefit in professional counseling and medical care in various areas. I know personally, I've as a pastor, I've helped connect people with counseling. I've personally been able to get counseling through challenges. I just encourage if there's things that you feel like you're stuck in to really consider that as a viable option and to not feel like that's unspiritual to consider. It's not wrong. There are times where medication um, will be helpful and to find people who can help you discern that question. 
um, people who on a professional level, pastoral level, people who are caring for you in your own life, um, family who know you well, to, to not feel isolated in difficult decisions such as that, but to find wisdom and guidance. Because those are complicated waters to navigate when you're talking about, especially medication, I know, and some medications will not work well for people or have adverse circumstances. Some medications will be really significantly helpful for seasons or um, issues in people's life. Doug, would you share just a few thoughts to wrap up this conversation as we're getting to the end of our time? Yeah, the last couple of thoughts that I'll mention are the grandma rules and engaging with believers and scripture that really expresses sorrow. The grammar rules is what one of the professors from my counseling class talked about. Of You need to eat healthy, exercise, sleep, and just these basic things that some people are doing very faithfully and still sick. But then in dealing with college students or in your context with high school students, even in my own life, it's clear that often our bad habits amplify anxiety, anger, depression. And so in a lot of ways, the first step for many people is I need to eat less sugar, maybe have less caffeine, go to sleep before midnight, stop playing as many video games. There's just simple basic things of life that are going to carry over into our emotional health. And so one of the first things is just, hey, we also want to be dealing with the grandma rules. But then the last thought that I've got is just, can we take in biblical content that even expresses sorrow? And can we look at how Christians of the past have walked through sorrow and wrestled with it and then come before the Lord? The book of Lamentations is excellent for this. Lamentations 3 says, My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. And so is my hope from the Lord. Just that deep low that the author of Lamentations, quite possibly Jeremiah, is expressing as his nation is being destroyed and taken over by Babylon. And this deep sorrow that he feels And then it's a little bit after that that he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So to go to passages like Lamentations, to go to the Psalms, to go to different songs, like I've got a list of songs that are much more helpful for me than Mad World. (laughs) Because they're like expressing like the sorrow. So John Newton wrote the song, I asked the Lord that I might grow. There's a version of that by Indelible Grace that hits on a lot of what I felt. I love some of the songs by Citizens and their like album from 2013 just titled Citizens. Oh God, and I surrender all. To listen to the song Psalm 126 by Bifrost Arts or to listen to... O Sinner or Jude Doxology by Ghost Ship. And just some of these songs that actually express a low that then is taken towards the Lord. And the Psalms as well. There's so many laments and sorrowful Psalms 
they're deeply helpful when we really are depressed. And so the kind of one last story that I'll share going over this is that a few years ago, I was reading through the Psalms and trying to pray through them day by day. And I had prayed through the first 43 Psalms. And then I was meeting up with a student who was pretty low and depressed at the time. And so we opened up to Psalm 44. And that's what we were going to pray through together. I didn't know what was in the Psalm. And now I know that it really is. I think it's the most depressing Psalm in all of them, at least as I've gone through it, it like resonates because the beginning of the Psalm, the people of God are recounting how God was faithful to their ancestors in the past and all the things that God had done. And then they're talking about how we have been faithful to you, O Lord. But then verse 9, but you have rejected and disgraced us. You have not gone out with our armies. And so then the rest of the psalm goes through all these ways that they feel as though the Lord has forsaken and abandoned them. The psalm has a statement, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The psalm ends, rise up, O Lord. Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. But it doesn't really have a conclusion. So I think there's just something of praying verse by verse through the psalm with a guy that was really depressed. It was just a low moment. But then seeing that, oh, the people of God have expressed this kind of depression and sorrow in the past. And the Lord has been faithful. And then to realize that Psalm 44 is quoted in Romans 8. The verse, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, is Romans 8.36. And right before that, Paul had raised the question of, are we going to be separated from the love of Christ? And then verses 37 to 39 are so sweet. But even as I just conclude with Romans 8.37 to 39, keep in mind Psalm 44, the people of God crying out, feeling that God has forsaken them, that they're abandoned. He does not hear. He does not go with them, which is ultimately what Christ experienced for us, the ultimate death on the cross. And now the reality for us is even though we may feel Psalm 44, Romans 8, 37 to 39 will have the last word. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.